adoption. Do you really belong? <laughs> Do you belong here? Do you belong in your local church? Do you belong in whatever setting that you happen to be in? That's kind of the, the setting for what Galatians, we'll look at Galatians, the end of Galatians 3, and then the beginning of Galatians 4. It's a right to belong. When I was uh, 19 years old, I got into a severe car accident uh, coming back from college. We actually, I was going to, I was attending a secular school, and I came back, and we were just celebrating the end of the first year. I was on a basketball scholarship, so we were, of course, the best students and such, you can imagine. And so we, we went there, we were celebrating. We got away, the thing is, we got away with everything. I mean, no matter what we did, it was like, man, there's some basketball players, let's let them do what they want to do. And so we, I, I don't know, we just were having fun, hanging out, 19-year-olds do. And I decided, let's do donuts. Not in the parking lot, but in the grass. Because it's slicker, right? And you can just really get, get it going. That's what we did. And then we got threatened to get kicked out of, uh, go, you're gonna, I'm going to take you to jail or you get out of town. Okay, let's go. And so I got in a severe car accident on the way. And it changed my entire life. Felt like the Lord was touching me, touching me, trying to reach out. So here I am, not having been in church, and I show up in church, 19-year-old kid, because my high school basketball coach came and said, well, you promised me you'll be in church uh, first Sunday you're out. Yeah, coach, I mean, I'll do anything for him, right? Yeah, coach, I'll be there. So I show up the first week, 19-year-old, hadn't been in church, come to this Baptist church, very fundamental Baptist church, and I walk in, and all of a sudden, I don't belong. I mean, I don't belong at all. Like, people are dressed in suit ties and dresses, and not the guys, but the girls are dressed. And I'm thinking, like, I don't belong. My hair's longer than everybody else here, including the girls, you know, because they get their hair pulled up. And girl buns, that's before man buns were a thing. And they... It's just like, I don't belong. I don't belong in here at all. Do you belong in the family of God? I mean, do you? I grew up in a performance-centered home. Which means my approval was on the basis of what I did and what I accomplished. That's a pretty severe thing. It takes place. When you go through that, and I was in athletics, and... Um, that was my kind of my thing. Everyone I did well in that, I got approval. I remember like the most greatest affection was, you know, if I scored a lot of points, I got a lot of affection from my parents. It was just kind of a strange little thing that just, and that's what happens. It's like a dog when you give them treats, when they go outside, they come and they keep going outside so they can come get treats. And it was, that was me. About the same kind of intellectual level there, but I would just do good in athletics and expect my parents to throw me a little kibble bit and, I'd be happy. And that's pretty soon you start thinking your worth is based on what you do. This is a part of adoption now. Your worth is part of, is really based on what you do, not on who you are and your right standing before them. Do you belong in the family of God? What are some things we do now to try to belong? In different case, I don't, don't you speak up here. I'm doing. I know I'm a little bit different than Joe. Uh, session here, but 
you've sat and you've listened quite a bit. I want some interaction. What are some things you've, you do that we do? You have to talk about you, but you can talk about somebody else. What are some things you do or others do to try to belong, feel like they fit in? Say the right things. So you can say the right things, okay? Yeah, that's rad, isn't it? Okay, what else? You got reform guys have to have a beard. Yeah, I was telling I was telling a guy, uh, a church planter. His name is Dustin Neely. He's planting a church in Nashville, and he's planted before. You know, you, you may know not Justin. And I was telling him we were sitting having having a hamburger yesterday at the pharmacy. It's called on East Nashville. It's real hipsterville. And I was telling him what we were, I said the topic is Ordo Salutis, and he said, what, for a men's conference? What, is it going to be all beards and 1689 tattooed on your hand? And I go, well, yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, Joe's there, yeah, and you got, you got things like this, like little insignias of Spurgeon, or is that Mark Driscoll? I don't know which one it is, but that, one of those two, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah. I see the I see the resemblance now. Okay, what else we do? Hey, so we get want to look like the same, talk the same. Serve, try to give back. We try we serve, we kind of serve, yeah. What else? We try to adapt our hobbies to other people are interested. Yeah, yeah. So it's it yeah, it's it's interesting. Like all the people at Joe's church like cigars, right? So all of a sudden that's, that shift takes place, you notice those, uh, those things will take place. Not that saying they're trying to earn their way. I'm just saying that's just kind of natural. It's who we are. What else? Follow others. Just whatever they do, you just go along with it. Yeah. Whether you agree with it or not, because you want to be part of that group. That's what this passage is about. It's figuring out, do we really belong? So religions teach that. Like if you do certain works, you're in. You're, you're, you're in. And this is the design of all religions. Do we belong in the kingdom of God? It's to work to save ourselves from judgment. We try to do these good deeds in order to have the next life will be acceptable. And we are, as believers, the opposite. Tim Keller's book, which you know Tim Keller, right? If you don't know who Tim Keller is, you may not be a Christian. <laughs> I told Tim Keller, I, I say that, I, I was meeting with him in New York City. I'm not trying to name drop or anything, but I was, I was with him in New York City. I told him, I go, you know, I sometimes say that. And he goes, well, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gave me 17 reasons why. But um, <laughs> so Tim Keller's got a little book. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, and it's really a little short little book that you should read. And in it, at the very end, he says, Christianity is the only religion, the only system that gives you the verdict before performance. The verdict has already been granted to you before works of right, works of any kind are given. Like that's adoption, is when the verdict is, you're my son now. How did you act? It first starts with, you're my son. And that's what this doctrine of redemption is all about. It is in this order of redemption. It's probably, it's not an overstatement to say 
that it is regarded as the greatest benefit of the gospel of salvation. It's not our way into the family of God. Regeneration is that. But it is our standing before God as his sons. Spurgeon said, and I'll quote, okay, I got Keller down, I'll do Spurgeon, I'm going to do John Owen, maybe a Thomas Watson, throw in John Piper, maybe Augustine. I don't know who we're going to get, but Spurgeon said this, adoption gives us the rights of children. Regeneration gives us the nature of children. We're partakers of both of these, for we are sons. So this adoption means you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's actually at the end of Keller's little book, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, 41 pages, says at the very end, don't forget Jesus said, was told, you, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when did it take place? Before he did anything. It was, it was the beginning of his public ministry. Had he done anything and made a couple of tables, probably the leg, one leg was longer than the other or whatever, it was lopsided. Um, but then he had not done anything in the kingdom. At that point, yet his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you receive that from God? That you are his beloved sons in whom he tolerates with exceeding sadness. I think that's how we view it. It's like God just doesn't strike me dead. He is throwing up. He there's, there's Bible verses he vomits. Right? God vomit them out of us. He's sick of me. He nause I nauseate the Lord. But I'm, I'm his little kid. Is that how we view ourselves? Or do we view ourselves as, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and not just well pleased, but I'm crazy about. I'm, I'm crazy about my granddaughter. I have a granddaughter and grandson. My granddaughter thinks I'm pretty cool and she's two and a half. So when she gets three, it'll probably change. <laughs> but she, that is, I'm crazy about her. If she says, oh, Papa, let's go. She just has to say, Papa, and I'm like, okay, you, got, you had me at Papa, let's do it. What do you want done? Candy? What do you want? I don't care what it is. <laughs> Papa, let's go for a walk. She takes two steps and goes, I want to ride on your shoulders. Okay, let's, I'll ride on my shoulders. Let's just do this. I don't care. I have a bad back. I mean, it was literally, I had a ailing back, and they come in. I, I carried her the whole way. What? I thought your back was bad. It is, but... This is my granddaughter, right? So this is what we do. It doesn't matter. It's crazy about. The Lord is like in that kind of case. He's crazy about us. He's for us. He loves us. He approves of us. Is our life perfect? No, it doesn't have to be. Is my granddaughter? No. But he loves us to that extent. That's family at that point. So in Galatians 4, we see a contrast between Servant and a son. Here's the servant and the son contrast. So Paul contrasted this infant son with a mature son. And I need to understand this. He's looking at it because it's kind of strange. There's like an infant son under the guardianship. And what is this all talking about in Galatians 3, 25 to 26? Says this. I don't know if I have it. Let's see. 
But now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The first thing you understand is we are all sons by faith. And we're already sons. It's not an attainment for the future. If you live your life accordingly and to my acceptable nature, then you will be my son. It says you are already sons by faith. You already received that adoption. You're already in the family. Um, it's like a little infant. Infants at home under a year old or so. And you know, like, they come in. They just really don't contribute to the family. <laughs> they keep you up at night. They smell, uh, and they, they continue to do that for a couple of years. Like, there's just like, at what point do you go like, I'm stop, stop with this. Stop this. You're no longer my daughter or my son because you're pooping your pants. Quit doing that. I don't accept you. You're throwing up on me. You're ruining my best outfit. Like, we don't say that. And the Lord is walking with us. He's saying, you're my son. You're already my son's. I've already adopted you into my family by faith. You didn't earn it anyway. It's by faith. Received it. You're my son. It's 1002. 1002 is a... Luke 10.2, Jesus said, Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. He'll send workers into my field. For my harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And so we ask people all over... Set your alarms for Luke 10.2. Sometimes we're in meetings and it's just ding, ding, ding. And if you're if we're with people that don't know what's going on, they're like, what's happening? Why? They're speaking. You know, they're in the middle of speaking and it starts ringing. And it's always ringing all over the, the room. And it's just all of us who say, let's pray. The Lord would send them to the field. So let's stop and pray. So Father, thank you for your promise as Lord of the harvest to send workers into your field. There's so many lost people that need you. So, Lord, we just thank you, praise you, send workers for your harvest, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may think that's weird, but it's the way we we call out church planters. So we're already sons of God through faith. It wasn't by what we did. It's by what he did. It is our faith in him. This is this process. In the ancient world, they have a bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah literally means sons of the law, and it happens after their 12-year-old birthday. It's the first Sabbath after their 12-year-old birthday. They enter in their sons of the law. And so they come in under the law, and they're not officially sons with an inheritance. In they're heirs, but not yet. It's almost like already not yet. They're already, yes, they're heirs, but I'm not considered them a rightful son whose rightful inheritance will come to him until such time that I decide. Even in ancient Greece, there was a thing, a two-year cadet program, and it ushered a boy into adulthood, and they would literally, at that age, uh, take their toys and turn them over to Apollos. And that's where Paul said, when I was a child, I did childish things when I was an adult. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. This is that picture of what's taking place. So the child was an heir, but at this stage of their life, they weren't in line for the inheritance. They were still taking orders from another. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, verse 4, 1 says, 
which is here, I mean that by the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. You see what that is? It's, it's this not yet a full son with rightful ownership. 4.2 says, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. The father would set the date. At this date, my child is a son who is a man. Now he's set free and he rightfully can receive this. But until then, he's under tutors and governors and guardians. He's under there. And so this is this picture that Paul's painting that the law was like an infant child not yet fully given rights. It was like they're under this tutorship, this oversight, but not yet free until the day that the Lord would decide when that would be. So we're servants, all of us are servants under the law, in the bondage of the elements of the world until the Father's fixed time when we would be freed and be mature adults, mature sons. So Paul's saying that before Christ came into the world, Jews were under the bondage of the law, and Gentiles were under the law of conscience, so all were in bondage or enslaved to the elements of this world. They're all enslaved, and all of them were children. And every man today without Christ is enslaved, is under that condemnation of the law. But in due time, in due time, the Father would decide now. And that's where we walk in. He is under guardians and managers since the day set by his father. And we also then were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And then when the law was removed, then we would become sons. The realization of our sonship would take place. Verse 4 and 5. When the fullness of time was come, when the father decided it was ready, God sent forth his son born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might, what? Receive adoption. Full adoption as sons. We fully, completely, absolutely were set free. We're no longer a servant to the law. It said that a son, while he was an infant under the oversight of the tutor, the guardian, was just like a servant, though he was a rightful heir. And the father says, all right, now at this date, 18, whatever, you become a mature adult. You're set free. You're now my son fully. And you'd be set free. And Jesus had to be God in order to have the power of salvation. But he had to have, be a full man, 100% man, to have the privilege of substitution. He couldn't just say, all right, whatever, let's just take care of it. Had done so with bulls animals, and now with him own self, the Lamb of God, which was slain before the foundation of the world. As John the Baptist cried out, behold, the Lamb of God. They knew what that meant, and he became then that substitute for us because he lived as a man. He had to be a substitute, a perfect substitute. He had to be perfect, a male without blemish that was slain for our deliverance. Our regeneration, our redemption was taking place. 
And God sent his son to adopt many more sons. Adopted sons with full rights. With full rights. A foster child does not have full rights. A foster child lives in a home for a time. They take care of him or her. But yet they don't, I mean, when it comes down to divvying up the inheritance, the foster kids don't get a portion of that. But an adopted son would. Adopted daughter would. They would receive the inheritance of their home. That they become just like a biological son, a biological daughter. They would come into there and have that same ability. So we received this adoption into sonship. We're no longer slaves. We are sons with a rightful inheritance. We have access to the Father. The English word for adoption is filled with ideas of love and grace and compassion and coming together in a family unit. And J.I. Packer says this about it. If, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, I think I have it written here, put it up there for you. If you want to understand how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. William Barclay said, in the most literal sense and in the most binding legal way, an adopted child got a new father. That they received, this is my father. In a legal stance. Not only, it's legally, but it's also in the form of affection. It's the form of access. Uh, if you have a, if you, you, you are good fathers if you're a father here. And your children have access to you. They have access to you. They don't have to make an appointment. They don't have to beg. They don't have to pay for your time. They have access because you're a father. And our father gives us access and gives us affection and gives us adoption and gives us full rights as a family of God. That's different from being a servant of the Lord. We should be servants of the Lord, but we do so out of our familial standing with God. Our sonship creates, in terms of Paul, a doulos, a slave of the Lord. We do because of who we are. Our right standing before him creates our actions. Instead, how, how are we describe ourselves? Let's say, so tell me about yourself. Well... I'm an electrician, I'm a carpenter, I'm a pastor, I'm, right? I didn't ask you, I didn't ask you about your job. Who are you? I'm a child of God, approved of him, beloved of the Father, and I happen to work at an electrician place. We, you know, in America, we start with what we do defines who we are. In the Bible, it starts with who you are, defines what you do. Who are you? 
Understand, who are you before you do? Don't make your actions because there's times when you go like, who are you? I'm a porn addict. Who are you? I'm a drunk. Who are you? An angry man. Who are you? Start not with your actions, but start with who you are. I am forgiven. I am beloved. I am set free. And let your actions roll out of that. An illustration of the adoption, not legally from the standpoint of divine adoption wasn't set forth until the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, we kind of have a picture of what this would look like in the form of this person called Mephibosheth. It's a fun word to say as well. Mephibosheth. Uh, I try to get people uh, to spell that. But Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul. And this, this covenant between Jonathan and David was, if I live, take care of my family, was the covenant they gave to each other, essentially. If I live, you take care of my family. If you live, you take care of my family. Okay, we'll do that. And so the only last standing heir of Saul was this kid named Mephibosheth, who was dropped when they were running out. Uh, he was dropped as a child, and he injured his foot, and he was crippled. Uh, didn't get medical care, was crippled the rest of his life. And so here's Mephibosheth, crippled by this fall. Mephibosheth was also condemned because all of the heirs of the family that once was, David took the rightful heir, the rightful throne, all the family of Saul, of the former king, were disposed of, just kind of afraid of them kind of usurping the throne, coming back in and trying to cause things. So the easiest one was just kind of dispose of them all. So condemned to this death. And he was living in Lodabar. He said, where is Mephibosheth? Well, he's living in Lodabar, which means a barren place. He was hiding in fear. But the king summoned him. And he brought before him, and Mephibosheth fell to his face before King David. But David adopted him as son, said, sit at my table, eat and dine, take part in it. I will give you back everything that was of your father Saul's. Gave him back his land, gave him back his, all of his belongings. This is yours now. I took it rightfully, but I'm giving it back to you. I'm giving you what is yours, your inheritance back to you. And he gave it all back to him. Now, think about this. This is us. We've all sinned. We're crippled. The wages of sin is what? Death. We're condemned to die. We're far from God, living in Lodabar, in that barren place. As Adam, God came calling for him in the cool of the morning. Adam, where are you? And he said what? I was naked and afraid for he had taken of the forbidden fruit. Who told you and why are you fearful? And so fear comes in to our life when we sin and we know that we're condemned. And the king summons us through election. Did we hear about that already? He chose us. I think about an adopted child is this. You have kids. Maybe it's a whoops. Maybe you are a whoops. Like all your, kid, all your siblings are 
15 years older than you and you're like, whoops. Um, <laughs> you go like, mm, yeah, what are we going to do with this kid? Like, we just got to keep him, right? Got to feed him. We got to, I don't know, give him a room to sleep in. It's like, we're stuck with him, baby. We're stuck with him. Let's do the best we can. And maybe you felt that way. Maybe that's real. I don't know. And maybe you treat your kids that way. I, I doubt it. But that's, that's the reality. But an adopted child, and I have a friend who, they come to church. They were part of our church in Colorado where we started this church. And when they came, they came in a bus. Like there was 11 of them. You need a bus. Like there's no car that will hold 11 people legally. Uh, back, in my, back when I was a kid, you could cram 11, 12, 15 in just, just a regular sedan, right? And it was all cool, but that's before seatbelts were required. I know I just dated myself, but nonetheless, that's, that's where we were. But they, they would come in a bus and pull up the front and go, what is this bus? And they, all these kids got out. And I go, what is the deal? These are our adopted kids. They all adopted. And, you know, they were some of the same ages. You can do that when you adopt. But they chose them. They had a ceremony when they had this adoption. They invited us all over. It's a big house. And, and they live out in the country, so they don't make noise, I guess. But they, they said, let's have this celebration for these kids now are ours. They chose them. They didn't have to. They could have, like, because they, they first foster cared them. They could have said, I don't like this one. Let's, let's replace this one for another one. But they chose him. They said, I want you. And that made a difference in their life. He chose us. He summoned us. He elected us. And then we became adopted by the king, invited to sit at his table. and take. He took care of us. And he's given to us an inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. Are you serious? We're co-heirs with Christ? Sons of God, co-heirs with Christ. Verse 6 is the confirmation of this sonship. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is nobody I know, just Google images of grandfather holding somebody. But this is this Papa, this Abba. Is, is he your Abba or is he? It's God. It's Abba. Papa, the endearment, the love, the passion, the dependence upon each other, the joy, the expectation, the peace, the safety, all that comes in the middle of this Papa Father. I mean, if, if you really believe yourself is like, I am just running scared, or I come to embrace in the arms of my Papa Father, Abba. My dad had a big chair. We called it the big chair. Wasn't that big, but when you're little, it's the big chair. But the difference is it's dad's chair. So we got to sit in it when he was at work. But when he came home, out we go, and he'd sit in it because he worked hard. He's 88 years old now, still working. Um, Dad, why don't you quit? And he'd tell me, he has a gruff voice. He said, well, if a man doesn't work, what's he worth? Performance. See, I told you I lived in a performance center. That's where it comes from. And when he said that, I went like, oh, that's where this started. <laughs> but dad would come home and he'd sit in his chair because he worked hard. And he had 
little short stubby fingers. They're about this wide each. Like his hands were like this big. It was like a baseball mitt. <laughs> Literally. Like it's just like it's huge, just fat fingers in there. They're uh, calloused from working hard. And he'd come home and he'd sit in that chair and then he'd go like this. No, it's like a dog. I, I understand that, but <laughs> he'd, he'd pull out a little He'd put out a little piece of jerky and had it to us, and we'd eat it. No, that's not what he did. <laughs> but we'd come sitting on his lap, and it was the best. It was the best place in the world to be on Dad's lap. He was in a hospital one time. I was little, so I didn't understand hospitals and stuff. But you go to a hospital sometimes, you don't come back. That's all I knew is Grandma didn't come back. Where's Grandma? She went to the hospital. Where's Grandma? Uh, funeral's Friday. That's that's all I knew as a little kid. So my dad went in for shoulder surgery, and I remember sitting in his green, it was green. Welcome to the days of avocado appliances and stuff. <laughs> but it had a green chair, and I sat in his chair and I cried. Because my dad was in the hospital, and he wasn't there. He should have been home. He was in the hospital, I couldn't go see him. And I remember as a little kid, and I'm not just like a weepy little wimpy. It was like, I was the biggest kid in my class kind of thing, but. I sat in his chair and cried because I wanted my daddy. Is that how we feel? And does the Lord come sit in my lap? Because there's times when we have fear. We're afraid. Where's the next paycheck coming up? We're afraid of our health. We're afraid of issues in our life. And he said, come on. You'll be all right. I'm your father. I'll take care of it. I know this is hard. This is difficult, but it's a part of my plan for you. I told my story. <laughs> I'll, I'll show it to you later. I'll tell you in the last, in the last session, I'll give you something to think about. But this idea of this confirmation of sonship that we are in our hearts, the spirits put into our hearts, this is my father, and this is who you are, and that sense that we really feel the spirit of Christ that lives within each person that knows that we are the sons of God. The consummation takes place. Verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He continues this idea now. Don't forget. Now you are under this, but you're no longer. You're my heir. You're my rightful heir. You're this now. It's Thomas and sons. It's not just Thomas. It's Thomas and sons. Now we own this together. We're co-heirs. And Jesus sets us free from the servanthood to sonship. And we have received authority of possession. We receive the promise of the inheritance that comes to us. We're no longer a slave, but a son. Our promised inheritance comes. Verse 7. Chapter uh, Romans 8, 17 says, Our adoption provides our promised inheritance and share in the glory of Christ. We shall be made like Jesus, co-heirs with Christ, the way also that we also may share in His glory. So we're, we're children of God. And we shall be made like Him. The results of sonship are this, finally. This lastly. We're sons, not servants. To our Heavenly Father, we're sons. There's a relationship. You don't have to have a great relationship with your boss. 
I mean, it's probably advisable to at least show some respect. But you don't have to have a great relationship. Like, you don't hang out and do barbecues and pet his dog. I mean, you, just, that, you don't have to. But with the Lord, we're sons. We're not servants. But we fall back into this mode of a servanthood when we fall into to sin. We fall back into fear. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You didn't receive the spirit of a son to fall back into slavery. Fall back into this mode of being a slave. I didn't make you my son to make you a worker in my field. Though sometimes farmers do that. Right, they, let's have another kid. Why? Because uh, we just got bought another 20 acres. So you're not my slave. You're my son. The difference is that son who worked that 20 acres gets that 20 acres when dad croaks off. So we're, he didn't do that. He didn't create us a son to, to be in fear, but to be in relationship with us. You don't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. There's the prodigal son. Of course, I don't tell the whole story, but Luke 15, the prodigal son takes his, Dad, can I have my inheritance? I want to go, and he spends it on licentious living, riotous living, Sends it, spends it on prostitutes, and partying, ends up with the pigs. And he's there eating the husks that the pigs eat. Imagine this. He's there. He's, he has no money left. He has no friends left because the money ran out. And he begins to think in this state, this nasty state. Anybody pig farmers? Anybody know anybody who's a pig farmer? Okay, you're lucky. I had an elder who was a pig farmer. And he said, let's have, let's have elders meetings in my house. No. <laughs> well, we're rotating around to the houses. Not your house. No. It stinks. It stinks. He finally got rid of them and said, okay, throw the party this weekend. And we're having barbecue pork, right? So <laughs> they smell so bad. And he's there eating the husks down in the filth and the poop. I don't know what pig poop is called, it's, but it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. There's a word for it. My mom has several words for it. Like there's different adjectives for each one, but I won't go into that. But it's awful. And he leaves and he said, I'm going to go be a, what do, you, what do you say? I'm going to go back and be a son. I'm going to go back to my bedroom. Is that what he said? What did he say? I'm going to go back and be a slave, a servant of my father's. My father's servants have it better than I do. That's what I'm all, that's all I'm going to ask for. Not even ask for my bedroom back. My brother's got his crap in there anyway. And I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be a hired slave. So he comes back expecting that. And he falls down for the fall. And the father runs out. And he wraps a robe around him. And fathers didn't run in that age, right? It's just kind of disgraceful. You come to me, summon. 
I have summoning power. Come to me. But he ran out to his son when he saw him afar. And he wrapped a robe around him. The robe of righteousness. Around a stinking, he smelled like pig poop. And the father said, here, wrap this robe of righteousness around you. For this so clothe you. He took a ring. Probably pulled it off his own hand if he could, if it wasn't swollen. I would do the same thing. And he took his ring. And this ring was an insignia. This ring was a, like they would use to stamp in the wax and say, this is from the Thomas family or whomever. And you could say, oh, it's from, says I got it stamped in there. This ring was identity. This ring meant, you're my son. This belongs to you. This belongs to you. And you, what's that smell? It's a barbecue grill. It's a barbecue grill. Right now, you can smell the embers of that charcoal. Son, go kill a fatted calf. We're having steak. We're having veal. It's a calf. Poor thing. But we're having, <laughs> we're having veal tonight. You don't do that. That's waste. Wait till it's older, it's more meat. Ah, it's worth it. This is worth it. And he wraps and embraces. This, my son, was dead and is alive. And he took him back. And that's our father. That is our father. We are his sons. I smell like pig poop. He's going to wrap his robe of righteousness around you. I don't deserve this. His ring goes on your finger and says, you're adopted. You're my son. Let's party. I can smell. I can smell him right now. And your brother's whining back in his bedroom. He won't come to the party at all. But we're going to do this because it's right. That's the adoption that we receive. Will you receive it? Packer says this, sonship must be the controlling thought, the normative category at every point. With sonship, you, as, you receive assurance that you belong, love and intimacy, and, and some of you don't know how to receive it, and some of you don't know how to give it. How do I know that? Because you're men. Sorry. I was in that category, and I'm still growing. I, I'm in the small bus on that in that situation, I, I'm slow to learn. And freedom to live as a son. Not as a slave that's always looking out, but freedom to live as a son. And the family and the acceptance and affirmation and assurance and the inheritance that comes with that. Now, if we do not embrace adoption, and this is my last thought here, if we do not embrace adoption, we are accepted sons of God with rightful inheritance accessible to the Father. If we don't embrace this adoption, then we'll try to work to belong. I have to prove myself that I belong. And if we prove ourselves in our own mind, then we take credit for it. And if we take credit for it, the Father is not glorified. 
we're glorified. And he's saying, son, I got this. I got this. I know you smell like pig poop. I know you lost your ring. You lost your way. You lost your inheritance. Come on. Come on. And so the, the charcoal coals are warming up for you. The Father's arm and embrace. His big chair is waiting for you to come and sit in his lap and receive forgiveness and receive his righteousness because you are his child, his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. So Father, thank you for your love to us, your undying love to us. And we pray, set us free from performance. Set us free from trying to live up. Set us free from trying to earn our right and belong. We already belong. You said so. And it's on the basis of your son, Jesus Christ, that perfect sacrifice, that perfect substitute who took away all our sins and replaced into us his righteousness. And so we can stand not on our own merit, but on the merits of, of the son who is free. Father, Abba, Papa, we love you. Take away the fear. Take away the desire to earn our right. Take away constantly fighting to hold on to our standing, for it is secure. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.